0: Some say it is a coastal Salish legend, some say it's a Blackfoot tribe legend. Uh, However it comes to us, I'm sure it has been told in tribe after tribe after tribe, and some of you will know where this is going. And so when I first learned this, it came to me from the Cherokee, and so it begins in a Cherokee village, in a Cherokee settlement. And a young boy came to his grandfather, and the grandfather just said, so, how was your day? Simple conversation begins that way. And the boy goes, oh, it was a terrible, terrible day. And the grandfather's like, well, well, what happened? Tell me, tell me what happened here. And the boy said, well, I went to the market. And I was so excited because I got to finally buy my first pocket knife. And I found the perfect pocket knife. It was the one I wanted. It would help me, uh, you know, with Whatever he's going to do with it, I have no idea. Um, but I bought this pocket knife. You can tell I don't own a pocket knife. <laughs> I found this pocket knife, and I, it was the one I wanted. And I got it, and I had saved up for so long to get this thing, and I was so excited. And while I was waiting for my parents, I stepped outside, and I was looking at it, looking at it, and a group of other boys came up to me. And they started saying all sorts of terrible things to me started making fun of me, and finally the biggest boy pushed me down on the ground that grabbed the pocket knife and ran away laughing. The grandfather just nodded, and he's like, okay, okay. He says, I understand your story. And the boy's like, I don't think you do. I hate those boys. I hate them so much, and I want that pocket knife back. And the grandfather's like, oh no, I understand your story. I understand. He said, let me tell you a story. And the grandfather began with, there have been many times that I have hated people around me. I've hated the people who continue to steal our land generations and generations after they said they wouldn't. I've hated that we don't get the resources we're promised. I've hated that there's been no health care for our tribe. I've hated all of the injustices that have been brought down upon us again and again, and I feel it every single day. He said, it feels like inside of me, There are two wolves, two wolves in a constant battle. One has black fur, one has white fur. And the black wolf is the peaceful wolf, the one that is gentle, the one that is always making peace and finding a way. But that white wolf is the one that is always starting fights, the one that is fighting over every single thing, the one that is just rage, pure rage inside of. It's a battle. It's a battle always. And the, the, the grandson looked at his grandfather and said, well, grandfather, which wolf wins? And the grandfather replied, the one you feed. Now, I love this story, and I like to imagine that the conversation continued between the boy and his grandfather, and that they eventually came to an understanding that it's really about balance, too, right? we can have anger, real anger, at the things the world is bringing upon us, and that can build up our resilience too. But the moment it becomes destructive, we need to find that balance in the peace, the peacefulness of that black wolf the grandfather was talking about. So I love this legend. It's one that I like to think about often. I think about it in my own life, with what's happening in the world around us continually. Um, I don't need to give you an example, pick one. You've got it, right? (laughs) but I think about those two wolves and that battle and the the struggle to find that balance again and again. Blessed be. Every year we, in this congregation, uh, select some uh, exceptional members of our community who have uh, given of themselves either to uh, the work of Unitarian Universalism within the church or the work of Unitarian Universalism outside of these walls. Uh, There's two awards. Uh, There's the Silver Chalice Award, and then there's the Chuck Soner Award. And this morning is uh, our annual Chuck Soner Award. Now, what is the Chuck Soner Award, you might be asking, and who was Chuck Soner? Chuck Soner moved to Lexington in 1988 after retiring from a community college in California where he taught political science for 35 years. When he arrived in Lexington, he joined this congregation and immediately became active in church affairs, serving on the board, among other things. He also co-founded the Humanist Forum in 1998. He was a dedicated political activist, and he was also involved in all aspects of social justice work. His main concern was focusing on those who worked hard but never escaped poverty, an increasingly (laughs) present problem in 2020 as well. He was a founder and co-chairman of the Lexington Living Wage Campaign. He was also active in the Central Kentucky Council for Peace and Justice and served on the Lexington-Fayette Urban County, that's a long name, Urban County Governments Ethics Commission. The Associate Director of the UK Center for Labor Education, Ted McCormick, once said of Chuck, he was just one who cared very deeply about people. Whenever someone was called to step forward and speak for people who had no voice, He was among them who chose to do so. The UU congregation here was very important to him and he would have been gratified that the Soner Award was established to honor members who continue to perpetuate our mission and vision and our commitment to justice in the wider community. So at this time, I'd like to invite members of our nominating committee forward to present the Chuck Soner Award.
1: Good morning, I'm Rachel Wade Harper, your worship associate for today. Our reading this morning comes from the poet Wendell Berry, from his work, The Peace of Wild Things. When despair for the world grows in me, and I wake in the night at the least sound, in fear of what my life and my children's life may be, I go and I lie down where the wood drake rests in his beauty on the water and the great heron feeds. I come into the peace of wild things who do not tax their lives with forethought of grief. I come into the presence of still water And I feel above me the day-blind stars, waiting with their light. For a time, I rest in the grace of the world, and I am free.
0: There's a memory that is in my mind every single day that I get to wake up and experience this wonderful world of ours. And it begins as such. Setting out on the trail, there wasn't much to expect that tends to be a thought many of us have whatever journey we're about to embark on. The parking lot near the giant Swiss replica chalet had people barbecuing, relaxing, relaxing, canoeing in the lake, taking a leisurely stroll, and the first stretch of trail brought us to an image of overgrown Midwestern prairie. Signs warning you about the bears heightened the thrill of the journey though most of the bears would only venture out in the early evenings when humans were advised to stay away. But occasional spots of pavement would cut through the trail, leading off into campgrounds for RVs and campers, <coughs> shelters with picnic tables, and whatnot. It was a leisurely stroll. About two miles in, the landscape changed dramatically. Overgrown prairie gave way to craggy rocks and steep climb. A massive clearing opened up above beyond a lake, Grinnell Lake, whose water was green, though the most beautiful, clear green you have ever seen. The blush of runoff from the glacier nesting above, bacteria changing the water from blue to green. Wildflowers poked out of the jutting teeth of the immense limestone and granite rocks. The unending rush of water carved its own paths over the trail. With obvious patchwork filling in the dangerous gaps. Up and up and up, hugging the side of a mountain, the wildflowers changing in their brilliance the higher we got. Over the nearest mountain peak, a thunderstorm just rested there, moving slowly around the peak, held captive by the mountain. Even the storms obey the mountains. That recognition was humbling, to say the least. And here we were, tiny primates, scaling onward and upward. The location was East Glacier National Park, and our goal was the Grinnell Glacier, nearly 2,500 feet above us. The Salamander and Gem Glacier's former parts of the larger whole greeted us every step of the way. Several much younger women skipped along ahead of us, and I don't say that cheekily, they were skipping on the trail. No hiking gear in sight. They dangled off of ledges, posing for Instagram photos, with us ready to leap into action and do what should something (laughs) happen. It was one of those first moments where we felt older. Wondering what happened to our own reckless abandon. (laughs) Despite the danger, despite ignoring the risks of every rule that warns you, there was something to be envied in skipping along a steep mountainside. And so this pattern continued. We'd forge ahead. They'd eventually skip ahead of us. And we forged one of those bizarre hiking friendships, knowing that anyone within earshot is good enough in case of bears or wolves or an angry goat. But upon nearly reaching our destination, the Salamander Glacier, feeling so very close, a warning sign was hung between two trees. The ground was frosted and snowed over, ankle deep and obviously deeper, just a few feet beyond the warning. Stop, the sign warned. You've been warned, it continued. (laughs) The rest of it essentially said, we cannot stop you, but you just might die.
1: (laughs) The rangers
0: obviously put it in much gentler words. We stood and took in the view, having reached our destination, and yet knowing what was just around the curve, out of reach. Here we were, on top of yet another mountain. We started our descent, the young women from before continued their energy waning, if you skip 2,500 feet up a mountain, you will be tired, <laughs> and we wondered if they ignored the warning sign or turned back. We never knew. Upon our descent, we came upon two people just standing and staring into the distance, one of them with binoculars. They just looked at us, and a man pointed, handing me the binoculars. There in the distance, a young moose buck rooted around in the shallows of the lake. The immensity of the animal alone, even like this, was breathtaking. (laughs) But also here on that mountainside with wildflowers finding homes in ancient stone, with the clear air and the thunderstorm still held captive in the peak behind us, here was this moose. And there were goats and sheep further up the mountainside. Ground squirrels aplenty scurrying here and there, the occasional snake not getting too close to find out if it was deadly or not, birds fluttering about, surely fish of all sorts swimming below, the green of the lake, reminding us of microscopic life aplenty. Here it was, life abounding in a place where human beings would dare not live permanently. The bumpy road out of East Glacier saw another marvelous sight, a young brown bear bounding along across an open marshy field. All of it was just so and quite stunning, a reminder of just how wonderful this world of ours is. And here, there, in Montana, in those mountains, but a small slice of it beholden by two people from Kentucky. Kentucky. There's a haunting realization in being part of the natural world, however you encounter it. It is fragile, beautiful, and temporary. Even without human-caused climate crisis, things pass away and new wonders appear. But so too, the natural world is resilient. That young buck was content in the shallows, greenery hanging off of freshly growing antlers, The wildflowers bloomed radiantly in a harsh landscape. I think often of the resilience of the natural world and Montana brings that all front and center. And if you have never been, I assure you the nicknames for the state are true. The sky is bigger there and there are wonders to encounter wherever you turn. Those encounters with the wild left me with two thoughts. First. I'm glad the moose and bear were in the distance for their sake and for ours. We had no desire to learn just how territorial a brown bear could be or if the moose was in a good or bad mood that day. But I also thought with great anticipation that there are creatures yet to be seen in those mountains. And I specifically thought of the wolves. I'm sad to say no wolves were seen on that trip, but they were there somewhere, perhaps miles away. But still, that was their territory, and we were just visitors. I was grateful in that experience, first for our national parks, may they endure, but for wild places where nature can unfold in its glory, and for this planet. I'd say it was transcendent, but instead, it was grounding in the here and the now, and how fortunate are we to behold this earth of ours. The wolves stuck in my mind, knowing that they were out there somewhere, unseen. And honestly, that fact alone was a miracle. Just over 40 years ago, there were no wolves left in Glacier National Park, and they had just begun to return. Unlike the Yellowstone wolves to the south, much of their return was a natural migration But as with most things, human beings pushed them from Canada back into the United States. But it was there, perhaps for the first time in a very long time, that they were met with a good amount of excitement and not an endless hunt that would push them into a localized extinction. To this day, a growing population exists in Glacier National Park all the way down to the Nine Mile Valley, Rick Bass, in his activist and naturalist book *An exploration of the Nine Mile Wolves, describes in great detail the never-ending struggle between human beings and wolves. Montanan cattle farmers still lobby for the rights to shoot them on sight, even though out of all the cattle ranches in Montana, wolf attacks on livestock are down over 50%. Rick Bass notes, It wasn't enough that the wolves had beaten the odds and survived and had shunned livestock. It wasn't enough to startle. They had to amaze. He continues that the wolf population of Montana still struggle against this uncomfortable relationship with human beings. And despite this, they still are flourishing. Imagine that, though. It is not enough to share this planet with other creatures, but to demand that they amaze us to survive. What hubris is that? Now, you don't need to guess where I am when it comes to matters of the environment and the natural world and all of its beauty. I share these stories for reasons other than awareness, though I wholeheartedly believe that with the climate crisis coming, and it is, our species will need to drastically change our relationship to this planet. And it is going to come to a point where our consciences are not enough. That action is demanded. But I also share these stories because I believe, deep down, more than anything, that nature is enough. It is enough in teaching us how to live ethical, sustainable lives. It is enough as a source of wonder and inspiration. It is enough, and it is all we have. There's a humility one can cultivate, not just in climbing mountains, but even the dandelion in your front yard. A humility that reminds us we are but one piece of a larger whole. And there's resiliency to be found. Resiliency that defies all odds, that defies all cruelty and greed, that of wolves reclaiming their home and flourishing, that of the complex algebra of how a pack is led, hunts, the delicate balance of numbers, in order to survive. When are the time, what are the times the world has told you? You had to amaze it in order to survive. Or succeed. Or simply flourish. When did you find yourself against all odds forging out a new path? Perhaps a familiar one, but new nonetheless. And discovering a sense of home and belonging. Even if there was hostility all around you. Those were the questions on my heart on that mountainside, seeing the moose, the bear, knowing the wolves were watching somewhere. And there was the question I had as these young women hiked the same steep mountain as if it were nothing. How much energy do we spend comparing our own journeys with those of others? All these questions are asked knowing that resiliency is not something we discover, take hold of, and we're good to go. The story of the nine-mile wolves did not end happily. After being confused with coyotes and shot hit by cars and the increasing threats from ranchers and deer hunters, one female remained the pack and was kept in captivity permanently. And yet despite this, more of them came. And today there are packs all throughout the inland northwest. What I find here in these stories, that of confronting nature and of learning from it, is all I need to know about our spiritual and ethical journeys. It always begins as an easy bounding along. But soon enough, it requires a steep climb on uncertain terrain. And there will be unexpected barriers and small points of surprise will emerge. And so it was climbing Grinnell Glacier. And so it was for the walls of Montana. And so it was for all of us who are surviving against all odds. I see this with those who come into our communities. Aha, people will say upon discovering us, I have found it, the religion I have been looking for all along, this is great and wonderful and nothing could ever go wrong. The journey starts out smooth. But what do you mean we can't believe anything we want? It continues. What do you mean I have to think, not just think about social justice, but do it? Why on earth is someone calling me about a committee? Is <laughs> at this point that the steep climb ensues? Church life and this religious life can be disappointing at times. And there are barriers and obstacles aplenty. And it here many of us remain, knowing the journey with all of its challenges is part of the reward. Resiliency, nature teaches us, is hard won, always at stake, and necessary for survival. How is it for you? How is your heart and mind on this shared journey of ours? And I could go into all sorts of terrible metaphors, look around, the people next to you are your wolf pack, that would be great, and we could all howl together in this moment. That's another service. But Unitarian Universalists are a people who need to continually cultivate resilience. And yet that is why we choose to be in community. So we are not alone. And so that we can find bears or wolves or whatever else may befall us on our journeys. And so these questions remain. What is the journey before you? Have you given the thought to how it will lull you into a sense of ease and security before the terrible climb? And what do you need? on the way to be resilient, to survive,
1: and to thrive. Blessed be. Amen.